Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Bastards Hot Stove edition of the podcast. Major development in the last several hours here on Monday. Sonny Gray, arguably a top four or five free agent this winter, uh, has come off the market. The St. Louis Cardinals have signed him to a three-year, $75 million deal. There is also a club option for a fourth year valued at $30 million. And if they opt not to do that, Sonny Gray will get $5 million on a buyout. So Gray is 34 years old and um, coming off of a Cy Young runner-up year. So uh, a big, uh, you know, a big extension, well, not an extension, a big signing for him uh, at big money annually. Uh, MLB trade rumors, we just did a five-part series kind of working off their projections. They didn't miss it by much. They had him at four years, 90 million. So that is 22 and a half million per year. So he's going to get one year less guaranteed for a few million more. So I would call that close enough, and uh, with me tonight, Cody Paulson, uh, back from a land far, far away, so uh, you didn't miss much in terms of signing, Uh, that's the good news and the bad news, but uh, how was India? India was great, you know, the the time change I think was about 10.5 to 11.5, just depending upon, you know, where you are, where we were. Uh, but it was good. We were able to go over there, see some weddings. I'm um, sorry, see a wedding, see some coworkers, see some friends, um, be a part of the ceremonies. It was it was really cool to to learn that part of culture, right? And you know, it was also kind of weird because I'd wake up and it'd be a full bevy of action uh, or non-action, as you had mentioned. You know, you guys were going off in the war room, and I was trying to play catch up, and it really was just you know the world kind of turned on its head for me for for about a week and a half there but good to be back missed you guys on the pod i was trying to keep up with the the free agent uh rundown that you guys gave a lot of good insight and it'd be you know kind of cool to go back after after the winter and see kind of how accurate they were you mentioned that they were pretty close on the sunny gray deal at least in the aav sense so that's always kind of a fun uh hindsight's 2020 activity i think they were pretty close on Aaron Nola as well. I'll pull that up. But how 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 is India like culturally? Like is it a lot different? Like is anything like in your face like right away when you get there? Like whoa, what's going on here? Um, I would say the population density is definitely something to note when you land. Uh, boots on the ground there. Um, they just had their Diwali celebration, so there was a lot of. Uh, air pollution just with like the fireworks and they you know um they're trying to flip their crop fields as well so they burn them down to to enrich the soil um so just air quality was a little bit different when we landed but it was also like a unique time period um that we had visited i had been over there before for work in 2019 and i had no issues with the air quality um but you know everybody's just a lot more personable um you know with that density you gotta get you know get comfortable with a lot of people really quickly um, but everybody's really friendly. They're trying to make sure that, you know, you have what you need. Um, the service industry is very strong. They're obviously incredible food, very, very kind people. Um, and it was really neat to just see different architecture and different, you know, 
uh, like temples and forts and and things that we don't have, you know, in kind of the Western hemisphere. So we were able to do some sightseeing as well, um, learn about some things that we were able to see in 2019, but, you know, get a little bit more history on it, which was, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. India would be an interesting place to go. Um, I'm not very well traveled at all. Uh, I've been to a number of States by now, but, uh, the only other country I've been to is Ireland. Um, I would, if I was to travel abroad again, I, I'd rather do something that's culturally different. I mean, Ireland wasn't, you know, they obviously don't pump chemicals into their food like we do. And that was apparent, you know, when we're eating meats and stuff. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's very westernized and... You know, India just sounds really interesting, and maybe Vietnam or Thailand would would be mm -hmm. someplace, but definitely someplace I'd feel safe though. Like I'm not going anywhere in South America. <laughs> you know, I just wouldn't wouldn't feel safe in a, in a lot of countries uh, down there, even parts of Mexico. You know, mm -hmm. outside of a major resort, I, I wouldn't want to mess with that. So. Um, but yeah, and I, I like spicy food and India is, is big on spicy food. Yeah. They'll, uh, they turn it up a couple of notches. Um, you know, it's always, uh, smart to be a wise traveler. Right. And, and I think, you know, with some of those Southeastern Asian countries, you know, where you might lose some of the autonomy and the flexibility by doing it via a tour group, um, you're also going to be able to go to places and be a little bit more protected. So it is, it is a worthy trade-off in, in my opinion. I'm just looking at the populations here real quick. So India's number one, actually. Is that correct? Did I just see that right? Uh, yeah, I mean, they're over a billion for sure. And I think the land area is smaller than the United States. 1.42 billion in China is... Oh, they're about tied. 1.41. So who knows? Sounds like India might might pass them, though. That's, that's insane. So both of them... Uh, account for probably what maybe half the world's population let's see oh 8.1 yeah. no 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 probably about maybe a little over a third but yeah that's interesting i just i just like these facts and stuff i mean we're such a boring country you do mention though that you know india is smaller land wise than the united states but if you think about it in the united states i mean wyoming the dakotas I mean, Nebraska, Kansas, I doubt there's a ton of population there outside of the big cities. I mean, it's really rural. So, you know, just so much of our own country, you know, is very unpopulated. Even in Maine, I mean, two thirds of the population in Maine, where I'm from, 1.2 million. So one of the smaller states population wise, two thirds of that one, two point, uh, two thirds of the 1.2 million are in the bottom three counties. And, mm -hmm. then, and it's very rural. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So anyway, weird stuff. I swear this is a baseball podcast. So let's uh, let's just get into it. So perhaps a, a temperature check on the stove. Yes. Yes. Um, so Sonny Gray, I, I, I never wrote out a list of like my top five. I mean, Yamamoto is number one all across the board for us. Um, Nola was my number two. I, I would have been high on him. I don't know. Maybe Sonny Gray ends up being my number three. I, I don't know. I'm just really impressed with his last couple of years. And there's the whole big market thing with him. You know, that's the, the dark cloud over his head. But 
I mean, he pitched pretty well at Fenway in his one start last year. I think he had a pretty good start in Yankee Stadium. So three years isn't a ton of risk here. So I, I was kind of bummed that we weren't, uh, you know, an active participant in his market. But what are your thoughts of him coming off the board? I think he landed in in the perfect spot for him. He got a great deal into a reasonably small market, but a passionate fan base. Um, you know, San Luis is obviously uh, you know, a great organization. I think all of us have picked them to win the Central, except for Jason, who had the Brewers. And, uh, you know, I think we all ate crow there. Uh, but a little fun fact, Sonny Gray doesn't have a winning record against any of the ALE's teams. At best, he's 500. Most of his ERAs are above four. Um, I... I was very impressed with this season last year. Obviously, you don't become a top three or, you know, top two exactly. Uh, Cy Cut, Cy Young finisher without performing well. I mean, a 287 ERA is incredible. But, you know, as you had kind of mentioned, that dark cloud being uh, pitching in big markets, he just hasn't done it, right? And Minnesota doesn't, you know, didn't exactly do well in the playoffs either, didn't pitch well in the big games. I don't know if that's necessarily where we want to allocate our resources to a guy that hasn't had success in this division, right? He came over from Oakland to New York. And, you know, I think at that point in time, we were all spooked and bummed that we didn't get him or didn't make a better play at him. And then we kind of saw it fall apart a little bit there. Um, and so, you know, for that to, to have a second chance at it, I, I don't know if that was, you know, history that needed to, to repeat itself. Um, you know, let bygones be bygones. I'm glad that he's in the National League, so we don't have to see him. But even, you know, these past couple iterations of the Red Sox teams have touched him up a little bit. And and those weren't as formidable as some of the teams in the past. You know, I think he's he's like, what, one in seven with a six-plus ERA against the Red Sox? Like, and we haven't had the 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 depth of teams that we've had in, in previous years as well. So, um, you know, good for him to get his money, good for him to have some flexibility with that contract, uh, stay in the small market, I continue – Dope, he has great success. Um, he wasn't necessarily high on my list because it didn't seem like he could handle a town like Boston. You know, as soon as he puts a couple of clunkers together early in the season, that oh, he can't handle the big market narrative is going to come again. And you know, is he going to shrink away from it? And it just seems like it would have been a lot of money and a lot of years to allocate to to a guy that might not have uh, shown the brightest when the lights are on. He actually hasn't pitched as bad as you think in some of the AL East parks. So Boston, a bad one, 6.84 ERA. He has had a good last couple of starts there, I think. Um, definitely at least his most recent start. Uh, New York, again, I mean, they wiped the mat with him on a, you know, on a per start basis, uh, you know, a handful of years ago. 6.06 ERA. But his numbers are pretty good everywhere else. Uh, Tampa Bay at the Trop, he's a 2.97 ERA guy. Uh, Camden Yards, a 2.64 uh, ERA over. Uh, I can't tell if that's uh, eight eight games uh, started there. And then who am I missing? Toronto. I have no idea how he did in Toronto. Oh, a 2.7. ERA. So decent numbers there. I, I I admit there was risk, but I just feel like for three years, I, I think we could have figured it out. We, we've got Andrew Bailey now. So theoretically that we should take a step forward from the, the Dave Bush era. And, but it's, you know, it's all moot now. 
he is going to St. Louis and it's it's fitting that that's where he ends up because just last week they signed Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson and I'm like look at these dumbasses now they get they get uh Sonny Gray so their rotation looking uh, a lot more uh formidable um, going forward. And I don't think the NL central is going to be super robust either. So this could be a big bounce back year for the, uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Here's where I'm at though. We missed out on Noah who, uh, by the way, MLB trade rumors projected six years, 150 million, pretty much on the money. He just got one more year than that. Um, but it's frustrating to me that we weren't connected to either of these guys. And it's it's been a quiet month. And what bothers me especially is with Nola, you had the Dodgers and the Braves after him making offers. One of them offered more than what the Phillies gave, and that's believed to be the Atlanta Braves. Atlanta and LA, they have the widely regarded the the two best GMs in Major League Baseball, Alex Anthopoulos and Andrew Friedman. And they both wanted him. They both coveted him, and the Red Sox passed. Now, he might have signed with the Phillies anyway, but it, it would have been encouraging to know that at least we, you know, we're in the hunt, you know, maybe we made an offer and, 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 you know, that's a signal that that's where the priorities are. Another thing that bothers me, and actually before I transition to that, uh, something you have to consider here is immediately after the Braves missed out on Sonny Gray, or excuse me, uh, Aaron Nola, they were pivoting per reports to Sonny Gray. So now the Braves are 0 for 2 on two guys they desired. Uh, I don't know if Gray was connected to the Dodgers. I haven't seen anything. Um, but that's still two teams that haven't addressed their needs that we still have to compete with. That makes me nervous. That makes me extremely nervous. And... I just feel like if we find out tomorrow that Jordan Montgomery, who I believe is the number one on most people's lists. I don't know if he's number one on my list. We can get to that in a second. But if he goes off the market, then like there's going to be a squeeze for just the last few remaining guys. And we haven't, we haven't, you know, come out of the whole narrative of nobody wants to, pitch in Boston or nobody wants to sign with Boston. You know, we still have that cloud over us until, you know, until we don't. And so I just hope that we're not putting all of our eggs in the Yamamoto basket and then we don't get him for some, some bias that he has that, you know, he doesn't want to pitch on this side of the country or there's something about Boston. Boston's too cold. Uh, you know, so if we miss out on all these top guys, uh, man, I don't know if I can do it. I, you know, so 
My my anxiety is definitely increasing as each of these guys come off the board. I feel and I understand your reason to to feel anxious as these individuals come off the board, right? I mean, with with a team that struggles so mightily on that side of the ball, you look to the offseason to find acquisition and find talent to to kind of remedy that. Um, you know, you guys did a great job running down the list of free agents. I don't know if this was the free agent class that was going to do it, right? These last couple of years, the free agents just really haven't been those blockbuster deals, save for one or two players. And I think you can chalk Nola up to, to a deal that just never really reached market, right? He took a lower level deal to stay in Philadelphia. I'm fine with him. I'm fine with not being linked to it because you know, with all the disdain that you had for the Bloom era, what was a pension of, of Bloom? Oh, the Red Sox showed interest. The Red Sox had a meeting. Cool. We were linked to them. What happened? We never signed them, right? So if they're being selective with their meetings, if if they're using it as a tactic to say, hey, you know, we're not meeting with everybody. We're only meeting with a slight few people that we want to meet with because we really have, um, you know, a lot of interest in signing these individuals. I think, you know, that's maybe like walk silently, carry a big stick or whatever that saying is. Um, I'm talking myself into that, right? Because... You know, it has been it has been rough the past couple of years for sure. You know, we haven't made any splash signings. Um, you know, you're always trying to read in between the lines, read the tea leaves or or whatnot. I think Yamamoto said that he doesn't have a preference to playing on the West Coast. I think his major thing was being on a team that has had success with Japanese players in the past, right? And you know, you look at teams across the league that have had success with Japanese players. I think the Red Sox have perhaps some of the better track histories uh, of, of major league teams and definitely the ones on the East coast. And so you just kind of got to hope that that's kind of putting us uh, at the top of the list and, and kind of helping us out there. But it is, it is fair to be anxious, right? You know, there aren't as many arms um, on the market as you would like in a normal off season. And some of those big ones are, are leaving the market early. Um, but you gotta you gotta have faith and you have to believe that there's a plan in place and that you know they have a strategy um and maybe they're playing things close to the chest maybe they're working on something big that we just don't know about and they don't want to leak it um the front office the ownership has had a very cat and mouse relationship with the media um so who's to say but uh i'm not anxious yet you know winter meetings still have yet to happen um maybe we'll see something move there the Sunny Gray stuff happening before uh, the winter meetings, I think, was unexpected. Um, as he had switched teams, you know, I think players uh, retaining or teams retaining the players that they had going into the offseason tend, tend to get done a little bit quicker, right, with those in-house guys. Um, but as we start to see more deals with players switching teams, then I would get a little bit more nervous myself. Being a... I've been using this term a lot uh, in the, the last couple of weeks, but being a high bloom survivor, y- you think back to the previous winters and we always had, you know, a short list of guys we hope to sign and, and you know, a reasonable expectation that we might bag one of those guys and we would watch them come off the list I'm looking at the remaining guys. Uh, I'm still in on Montgomery. I, I just don't want to overpay for him. I mean, I don't want to go north of 100 on him. I just think that's a massive overpay. But for now, still in on him. Uh, a couple of guys I want no part of. Uh, Marcus Stroman, 
I don't. I, I think he would be David Price 2.0 in Boston, and, and quite frankly, I think it could be more tumultuous for Strowman. I, I just feel like his trigger is quick. You know, when it comes to criticism, when it comes possibly to a, a hostile fan base, I just don't think this is the market for him. And the thing that makes me nervous about that is. Breslow, you know, was the director of whatever for the Cubs. And so there's there's a lot of familiarity, possibly a relationship there with Stroman. I, I don't know for sure, but it's it's fair to wonder if there might be. And so I don't want to put myself in a position to where I'm like, oh, my God, we absolutely have to sign Stroman now because he's the last one remaining or Eduardo Rodriguez, who I think all of us on whatever show that was recently universally said, no, we don't want Eduardo Rodriguez because that's what it was like in the bloom era. You missed out on all your guys. So now you're like, you, you, you suddenly you get a little bit more emotionally invested in some of the guys you didn't desire as much. And then they, they all went off the market. So that's kind of, you know, that's kind of what's got me, you know, a little anxious. Now, if we do make a couple signings of some guys, you know, if we do get Yamamoto, you know, my anxiety level is going to be down a lot more next year when, you know, some of these positions uh, in the rotation are going to be are going to be locked in for a few more years. So we've just this is the worst era of Red Sox pitching that we've seen since probably the 90s. I don't remember a sustained run of of bad pitching, um, you know, so it. It's frustrating. Let's uh, let's bring up another name, and this uh, is not a free agent. This would be a trade candidate, but uh, Dylan Cease. Now the bad news is here; he's connected to both the Braves and the Dodgers as well. They're they're in on him, so that tells me the trade package is going to be a little uncomfortable. And according to Rob Bradford, and this just got tweeted today. The Red Sox checked in on him, didn't make an aggressive play, but the one player that had to be in the deal for Chicago was Brian Bayo. And that's like, I mean, I think Bayo is going to, he's going to be a perennial 14 to 18 game winner every year. So I, I don't see, I don't see that as a smart move. You know, you need to get stronger in the rotation you know, you don't want to give up prospects just to get a guy similar to Bayo and, and you're still in the same boat again, needing pitching. So what are your thoughts on going that route? Because there there might be a situation where now Cease is the most desirable guy, uh, you know, if a couple more of these guys come off the board. Yeah, as the... Uh... I guess as the fans and as the media members are trying to heat up the stoves themselves because the deals aren't really happening, I saw a lot of those like who say no trades, right? And one of the packages that I saw floated out there was like a Cease and Robert trade. Um, and then, you know, coming back from Boston, it would be uh, not quite a Marcelo Mayer, but some of the other high-level prospects, maybe a how maybe, you know, um, a uh, Jaron Duran. And then, you know, the the report that you mentioned where Bayo was – quote unquote linked, I guess we'll say for lack of better terms, to the one in in the in season. Um, 
I think I'd be much more willing if if the package was a little bit stronger than just Dylan Cease. Uh, the idea of sending Bayo out to get Cease back doesn't really do anything for me because I think you know Bayo proved last season that he's got staying power right now. You know where Cease might be a little bit more polished, a little bit more upper end at this moment in time. You still have Bayo's entire career in front of him. You know, knock on wood. Um, so, you know, if, if anything, that's a, that's a win for Chicago and, and we're kind of stuck holding the dynamite, uh, with that one. But, you know, if you could package, you know, Duran and a couple of prospects to get Robert that contract and cease, you know, I'd be much more willing to, to have those conversations and have those discussions. I would not be willing to move off of Bayo. You know, I could be talked into, into Hauk or maybe a Whitlock or something like that. If, if they wanted MLB ready talent, um, but I think Bayo is is too valuable, and if Breslow's first move of his tenure is is to get rid of pretty much the one pitching prospect um, that has shown promise, I don't think that would go very well to to gaining the favor of the fan base. Yeah, I'm not a big proponent of of trading tons of prospects. Um, I just. I see them as capital within your system, you know, cheap options. I mean, who's to say a guy like Abreu, William Abreu, doesn't sort of become Luis Robert? I, I mean, that's probably setting the bar kind of high, but he does, he has shown some flashes of power and he, he barrels up the ball. So, um, you know, and you're going to have a guy like Abreu for under a million dollars for the next three years. So I just, I, I don't, I don't want to trade a lot of these guys. Now, unfortunately, I do think we will trade one of Duran or Abreu, and I'm surprised. Even outside of Dylan Cease, I'm surprised a trade hasn't happened yet. You know, I'm surprised, you know, Verdugo, we're not hearing his name brought up a little bit more. Uh, I'm I'm just surprised because we have a lot of major league ready talent, you know, a surplus of, of all these lefties. I mean, if a team really wanted Connor Wong, fine. If the if the trade was right, I absolutely would, uh, you know, entertain that offer. I think. I think we can address one major need with a lot of the guys that we've had up in the last year. I really believe that. And I don't think it really lines up with Cease. Uh, I've pulled the Red Sox uh, top 30 list up to get the prospects. Uh, But I would certainly, I think I probably would put Tanner Houck in that deal. Um, I just... I've been very hesitant to trade him because I just know, you know, the right pitching program is going to turn that guy into a stud. And I really want to see what Andrew Bailey can do with him. Now, if that gives us an edge for someone like Cease, um, I'm willing to, I'm willing to bite the bullet. I mean, you have to take risks. You know, Nick York, you know, he, Hasn't had a good couple of years uh, in the minors, but he's still the number three guy in our system. Uh, Blaze Jordan, another guy that's 
he's our number seventh ranked guy. This is according to MLB Pipeline, but I would I would put guys like that in a package with Hauk if it gives you a number two or three starter. I, I would I would one thousand percent do that. I'm not ready to move on from Meyer. I don't think I ever will be, quite frankly. Um, Bayo is untouchable. Any young pitching prospect in our system to me is untouchable. I mean, we have yeah. to develop these guys. Our two most coveted pitching prospects are Wickelman Gonzalez, who, um, or is he? No, he isn't. Because it's showing he's going to be major league ready this year. So I must be botching that. Uh, the other one is uh, Luis Perales. So I think I'm botching. Both of our top prospects were basically in high A last year. So you're looking at at least a couple of years. But I'm not willing to move on from any one of those guys. Yeah, In terms of like those, those fringe major league ready guys, right? The people that we've seen come up uh, the past couple of years. And I think you used a good term there when you said untouchable. In terms of trade prospects, I think the only untouchables we really have on this team um, in terms of the young players is, uh, you know, Bayo, Cassis. And after last year, I think Duran is is an untouchable player for me. Um, you know, if if you're willing to move how to get a pitcher back, I can talk myself into it. You know, I do have the same hesitations as you do. Right. I mean, he's basically a righty Chris Sale and has been on the verge of taking that next step ever since he came up and you're like, man, if he could just put it together, that sweeper, that slider is nasty. And he just, you know, either it's, they don't let him go through the lineup the third time, or he gets in trouble with his pitch count, or, you know, he's got a lot of walks, but then he'll get nine K's and, you know, it's, it's two steps forward, one step back. But, you know, Duran brings a certain level of athleticism to this team that we really haven't had since Jacoby. And I'm just not willing to part with that. And you were able to see, you know, the bat skills develop last year to this year. And, you know, his route running and the outfield is getting better. He's obviously turning, you know, singles into doubles and stealing bases and just putting pressure on on opposing pitchers. Um, he's a guy I think you could you could really develop around in, in the outfield. It's a bummer that he's left-handed. We are lefty-heavy as this podcast has <laughs> covered to great detail. But um, I know it was only, you know, a half to a three quarters of a season, but I think he showed enough to, to where he gets put into untouchable category for me, at least. What are your thoughts? I haven't mentioned Duran in a while. Um, I think he single-handedly saved the Red Sox from being a, a 68 win team. And, I mean, he was hitting 400 for a couple months and we all knew it would come down to earth, but he can turn a walk into a double because if you give him first, guess what? He's taken second and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, He turned, we saw how many singles get turned into doubles that 99.9% of major leaguers just wouldn't be able to leg out and watching the anxiety of the the infielders uh, and then the opposing pitcher just ramp up totally once he did get to first base. Man, I just I'm a big Duran guy. I would trade Verdugo definitely before Duran. Um, I can't say that he's necessarily untouchable, but he's a guy I really would rather keep. He's not even going to be a free agent until he's. 32 33 years old so this is going to be a guy who's very inexpensive and 
is this speed still going to be a factor at age 33? I, I probably not. Maybe he just becomes a good hitter in the meantime and, you know, extends out his career that way. But he's he's a very inexpensive guy to have that just gives you tons of value. And by having these guys, that's what enables you to go get the Yamamoto's, you know? And so I'm a huge proponent of, of keeping him. Um, but if he's traded for, you know, a, a number two or three pitcher, so be it. I'm willing to live with it. Um, I, but my, my preference is, is definitely to keep him. Uh, a lot of people, I, I feel like we're in the minority with Duran. From what I've seen on social media, I think you and I are in the minority. Everybody just wants to see more of Abreu. And they like his relaxed, you know, demeanor at the plate. And like I said, the guy can rifle one. I don't know how good of a defender he is, but, um, you know, Duran just average in, in center field doesn't really have much of an arm. He's got a Johnny Damon arm, but he's definitely a guy I, I would much rather keep. And like I said, I'm just surprised the move hasn't happened. I'm just surprised the dance partner hasn't come forward and say, hey, we're interested in this guy. Let's work something out. Because I don't think those types of trades are very complicated. You know, Duran, you could probably almost get, you know, that could almost be a one for one deal. I feel like, you know, but we it's just been so dead (laughs) like the Craig Breslow era has just been extremely anticlimactic so far, you know, and you don't have that Dombrowski energy that I was kind of hoping for. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, while it was definitely exciting and interesting and, um, you know, you had the same thing with those Crawford and Gonzalez and Sandoval and Ramirez off seasons where, you know, we were the first to go out there, first to set the market, first to make a deal. And it's great to get the new toys and open up something on Christmas. But I guess just being burned by pretty much all of those deals very recently, um, I'm just a little bit more hesitant to to make a move to say we made a move. Right. Um and that and that's just the scar tissue of of having so many deals, having players that you've had to ship off to other teams to offload contracts so that you're not paying luxury tax and and all of that, you know, static that comes with it. But uh, you know, we'll see what happens. And obviously, if we stay static and stay stagnant throughout the offseason, then it's a then it's an entirely different scenario and discussion. Excuse me. So. I'm just going down through the pitchers uh, to see who else might be available. Um, Corbin Burns is a name that gets brought up quite a bit. His market seems quiet. I'm not really seeing his name get kicked around uh, like I am uh, with Cease. Just kind of going down. It's really really a tough market. I mean, I don't think there's going to be many sellers. I mean, I've already gone through the first page on MLB.com. Another guy I've, I've mentioned, uh, I think in the very last show, uh, Lucas Giolito, he's a guy, I mean, some people might call me critical, uh, hypocritical, you know, coming off of the bloom era, but he's a guy who can still strike guys out. Like there's not a question 
of whether the stuff is there. He just needs to he just needs to be recalibrated and that's kind of a risk I'm I'm willing to take. But looking up through the the thing here, there's just not many not many options out there. If if the cost for Corbin Burns is is too high, maybe you can get his teammate Freddie Peralta who's had a good couple of years, but I don't really know where where to go here. To your point, that's kind of, you know, what we had opened it up with, right? Um, I think that's, in a way, helping my anxiety just because I knew that this, there wasn't like a perfect way to navigate this offseason to where we vault ourselves back into being, you know, a, a 95 win team, right? You know, I think we're we're all aligned in it. It starts with Yamamoto. And then if you could add another guy or two at the upper end, things look a lot better for sure. But it wasn't like if you had gotten out and sign a Montgomery and a Nola that you, A, that just doesn't seem like very feasible. And, you know, it, it's obviously off the table now, but just looking at the list of free agents, I just, I didn't see it in the cards. I'm just going through uh, the post right now. So uh, one thing to touch on with uh, Jordan Montgomery, um, he's spending his winter in Boston and a lot of, Baseball fans, Red Sox fans, I should say, think that could be a sign that he's going to, you know, possibly sign with the Red Sox. But the reality is, is his wife is starting her residency in, I think, a dermatology program, something in the medical field. Let's just put it that way. And that's why he's here. If she was doing a residency in Cheyenne, Wyoming, guess where he's spending the winter? So it doesn't hurt to have him spend time in the area though. Yeah. I mean, you, he could meet Breslow at a Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, you know, I mean, his agent would probably have to be there in all reality and he's probably in another state, but, but yeah, I think if the Red Sox get a guy like Montgomery, it's going to be later, probably in the month of January when his market comes down. If in fact it does, I just, I'm kind of rehashing stuff I've gone over recently, but there's nothing overpowering about him. He doesn't strike guys out. Um, he, in the last few years, he's found a way to kind of navigate, you know, through the season and through the, in route to a championship in this past season. And that's great, but I don't know if that's going to be great for six years. And, He's a heavy guy right now, heavier than he was when I remember him with the Yankees. So that makes me nervous too. And I'm chubby, so I, I shouldn't be one to talk. But uh, I so I don't know. I just I'm not in love with the idea of him coming to Boston as much as some others are. I mean, I think he he's that player to where you know, it's it's satisfying the go be the Boston Red Sox, right? He's he's a high end star name, had a had a great postseason performance, which I think is elevating his value and elevating his contract. And people are star craved their their big contract craved, right? We haven't had one of those in a while. And so, you know, I think it's it's the fetus, something we're hungry. Um and for better or for worse, if that's what it's gonna take to to curry some favor. 
then, you know, maybe that's what Breslau has to do. But at the same time, these fans better not lament the fact that we gave Jordan Montgomery, you know, six years, $120 million in three years when he's not performing as a $20 million pitcher. But, you know, people like to have it both ways. What what can you do? Yeah, I, I mean, I've already said I'm not going to go on some tirade, you know, like I did with the Kluber signing. If we get him, he's by far the best pitcher we've signed in – you know, since at least Nathan Avaldi in, in 2019, uh, a lot of people forget we got him via a trade uh, the season before, and he was a half-season rental. And by the way, it is very similar. We paid a premium on Nathan Avaldi for, you know, his work in that World Series, that epic late inning. You know, he went six innings in, in extras for us. And... um you know, because prior to that, he's what a ten, twelve million dollar a year pitcher, if that. And we paid the postseason premium and got him for sixty-eight million over four years. And you know, we can debate all day long whether that was a good deal or not. I, I think twenty twenty-one salvaged it from being a bad deal, but. But again, you're, you're, we're looking at a, a premium here with Montgomery, so. We'll see, you know, and, and after you sign Montgomery, guess what? I I still don't think we're good enough. We, we need to, we need to make a trade. One of those out of nowhere trades. And by the way, the Nathan Avaldi trade was out of nowhere. Nobody was talking about Nathan Avaldi in the summer of 2018. And, you know, so perhaps that's, you know, what, what else could happen? I just went through, I kicked around a few names that were somewhat palatable, but maybe there's someone else that, you know, is just kind of under my radar right now. Um, and, and they go that route, but, um, I guess we can wrap. I, I was pretty scatterbrained throughout this episode. It's just, uh, I think that's just, again, my anxiety getting in the way. I just, I really want to be a competitive team. I want to go into the month of, March and say, you know what? This team could win the division because there's not one obvious surefire team right now that you can say is the division winner. You can take Baltimore by default because, you know, they got a nice young team and, um, you know, they came off of, a, I think they won a hundred games, but, um, but I, I don't know if they'll be able to repeat, you know, without making a, a huge splash and, and so I don't see why the Red Sox can't sign two good starters, clean up the lefty situation, and maybe we're the surprise team next year that wins 96 to 98 and wins the division. And repeating in this division has proven to be difficult as well. So, you know, get a couple of guys in here, get the right attitude going. Why not us, right? I mean, every year, I mean, I'm sure the Orioles are doing the same thing last year into this year, or I guess two years ago into last year, right? They're like, why not us? You know, we got some good talent. We drafted well and you know, they, they won hundred games. So it's, it's definitely feasible. Um, but you know, it's, it's always tough to keep track of everything that goes on during, uh, the off season, right? Um, you know, you're getting a report here. You're like, wait, was that the real Jeff Passan? Was that a troll bot? You know, so it's, <laughs> it's, you know, hard to be like, Oh man, you got to do a, you know, emergency, uh, podcast right and it's like oh wait wrong guy wrong twitter um and so you know trying to trying to get all the right information to keep it all keep it all straight is a feat in of itself 
I actually fell for that uh, maybe not even a month ago. A fake Jeff Passan account came out and said that uh, AJ Preller had been fired from the uh, from the San Diego Padres, and I posted it in the war room and just left it there. And um, Jason was like, "Whoa, Charlie finally got his way because Charlie hates AJ Preller." And and I'm like, "Yeah." And then finally, Micah comes in and he goes, "Are you guys being serious?" And uh, he goes, "That's a that's a fake account." <laughs> And uh, so I posted a GIF and the GIF said, I've been had. And uh, <laughs> that's all it was. And then Jason realized same was for him. And he posted a GIF that said, I'm with stupid. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's what it is. But all right, we will wrap on that. Tentatively, we're going to be back to record Thursday night. Again, this is barring no significant developments. Or else we'll be back sooner. But uh, if nothing else happens, we will be back on Thursday to record again. And um, everyone take care in the meantime.